Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Matthew eight, twenty-eight through 34. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Great to be together this morning on this uh, Thanksgiving weekend Sunday. Glad you're here. I hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving, uh, one filled with gratitude, whatever the details might have been. We're glad you're here today visiting with us. Uh, whether you're visiting with us or you're a regular, we're just good to be together. Welcome as well to people online. Um, as you just picked up from the video and Andrew mentioned it, we are on the first Sunday of Advent this morning, so we turn our attention from, uh, from Thanksgiving to, to Christmas and um, for some people, that's uh, thrilling. For some people, that's terrifying. But uh, it, is, it is that time of year. We're going to get into the text in just a moment. Before I do, just a quick personal note. Um, if anyone noticed me wearing a mask this morning, um, I'm following the CDC guidelines on... Uh, 
uh, with COVID. So I actually uh, felt great last Sunday morning. I felt fine. I wouldn't have exposed you if I, if I didn't. Um, but actually, in the first part of the week, I kind of felt a little sick. So I did a COVID test, and it was positive. Um, Laura was negative. Uh, so, she, so no one in our family ever got it. But I did have, uh, three years ago, I would have said it was a mild cold. I never felt very bad. I feel great this morning, but I, I did. So CDC these days, a lot of us don't even bother to keep track anymore, but the, I contacted my doctor and he told me it was five days quarantine and then five days wear a mask when you're out in public. So, so that's why I'm wearing a mask this morning um, and I'll probably keep my distance. I'm not being rude. I'm just uh, <laughs> trying to be polite, I guess. But uh, they tell me I'm not contagious or I wouldn't be here with you if I was. So um, that's why, all right? So I just didn't want you wondering for the next half hour what's wrong. So uh, yeah, enough with that. I'm going to ask the Lord's help with the sermon, and then we will uh, we'll get into it together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the, just the privilege of being your people, uh, the privilege of uh, giving thanks this past week. What a joy to, to, to gather with big groups or small groups, or maybe even just by ourselves, but to stop and say thank you. Uh, thank you to you. Uh, what, a, what a tragedy to be grateful and have no one to say thank you to. can't remember who said that, but uh, it's true. And we're so, gra- so glad, so glad that we know where everything comes from, and it comes from your good hand. Uh, as we turn our attention now to this text, uh, would you please be our teacher and our instructor? Uh, help us to take this message this morning about hope and to uh, understand it and to apply it to our own lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Several years ago, the the school system in a large city created a program, and the program was designed to help children who had to stay in the hospital for a little while to keep up on their studies. Like, so little kids would, you know, they'd get sick, maybe they got to be in the hospital for a week or two, and uh, they created this program to help them not fall behind. And so basically what they would do is they kind of had teachers who would, you know, get paid to do this. They would serve as tutors for the children. And so, uh, and so one day, uh, one of these tutors was assigned to a, a little boy who was in the hospital. He was going to be in there for several weeks. And so she did what she does. She contacted the boy's classroom teacher just to find out, what are, they, what are you working on in your classroom? What would be helpful for me to, to instruct him on? And the classroom teacher said, well, nouns and adverbs. We've been working on uh, nouns and adverbs. It would be really helpful for him if you would help him keep up to speed on nouns and adverbs. And so uh, she did, and the teacher prepared a little lesson on nouns and adverbs, and she, she went to the hospital to see the boy. Well, no one had told her what was wrong with the boy, and so she went into his room, and she was really kind of shocked uh, because he'd, he'd been in an awful accident. And so when she walked in, she saw a little boy just covered in bandages. His head was bandaged, his hands, he was just covered in bandages, and uh, he'd been burned. He'd been in some kind of accident where he'd been pretty seriously burned. And so she kind of, you know, was shocked by this, but she was a professional. She took a deep breath, and she, she dove into the lesson. And, and he really wasn't engaging with her, but she, she did it anyway. And she actually, when she came in the room, she explained to him, uh, I've, I've been sent by your teacher to help you learn nouns and adverbs. And, and she jumped right into the lesson. And uh, like I say, it didn't go very well. The boy just kind of sat there. But, uh, and, and so she got to the end, and she said, well, I'm, I'm going to come back tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow to work on you, with you on another lesson. Uh, so she went away, she came back the next day, and uh, when she arrived, before she went into the boy's room, one of the nurses uh, came up to her and said, what did you do to that little boy? And she was kind of scared, she's like, oh no, what did I do? And the nurse said, no, no, don't worry, uh, he, he, it, just complete turnaround, 
it's just complete turnaround. Ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's, he's responding to the nurses now. He's responding to treatment. It's almost as if since you've been here, he's decided to live. And he did. He kept getting better after that. It was steady progress upwards. Uh, a couple weeks later, somebody thought to ask him, what changed? Why did you start getting better after that? And the little boy told uh, whoever it was, I think it was probably his parents, uh, he, he said he had given up hope. He said he'd given up hope until that teacher showed up. Uh, as he said it, I figured they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs uh, if they thought I was going to die. <laughs> and it gave him hope when she came to do that lesson on something so, so simple. This morning is the, the first Sunday of Advent, as you've heard. In Advent, if, if you're not familiar with that, some people come from traditions where Advent's a big deal. Others are like, Advent, what? what? Ad what? Uh, it, it's, it's a season of preparation, and it's been observed through the centuries by the, by the church around the world and in different times. Uh, it's a season to get ready, a season to get ready for the birth of Jesus. And, and of course, there's lots of ways to get ready for, for Christmas. People do planning and shopping and wrapping and cooking and, you know, some decorating maybe. There's, there's lots of ways people get ready for Christmas, and that's all part of it. But for us as believers, for Christians, it's a time of spiritual preparation. That's really the preparation we're talking about, especially on Sunday morning. It's a time to get our hearts ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're going to do that this year in our church by focusing on, on a, just a phrase, really, from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You saw it in that little uh, bumper video a moment ago. Uh, it's probably one of the better-known prophecies about the birth of Jesus. It's the one that tells us about the virgin of birth, the virgin birth. Uh, the Lord himself, Isaiah wrote, will give you a sign. Uh, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. In Hebrew, it, it means God with us. And that really is the heart of what we're celebrating at Christmas. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, as we understand it now, took on human form and he became one of us. It's not just a metaphor, it's, it's real. Jesus uh, really became a human being, fully God, and now also fully human. So that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. I want to talk about uh, the next four Sundays, and, and then Christmas is the one after that. Uh, I want to talk about why that matters. What's so special about God with us, about Emmanuel, uh, that, we, that it's really one of our biggest celebrations, if not our biggest celebration of the year? What's so special uh, about it? Uh, there's a lot we could talk about with that, of course. We could you know, talk about theology of incarnation. There's lots of ways we could get at this. Uh, to focus us this year, I want to, really, I want to pick up on the four traditional themes of Advent, right? So, so love, uh, joy, hope, and peace, those are kind of, again, through the centuries, Christians have used those four uh, themes, concepts, words to, to engage with the, the message of Christmas. And so each Sunday, we're going to take one of those, and we're going to uh, look at a specific passage so we will talk about kind of, you know, the traditional nativity passages, the ones that talk about the birth of Jesus. But really what I want to do is I want to do, and you heard it already in the reading, I want to go to the adult life of Jesus. And I want to look at how Jesus actually brought these things. It's not just that Jesus brought, and this morning we're going to start with hope. It's not just that Jesus brought hope in principle, Right? We look at that baby in the manger and, and we, we see the potential for hope. But then when you read through the Gospels, you see hope again and again and again when Jesus brings hope and, and offers hope of various kinds. And so we're going to look about, we'll talk about hope this morning. That's our, our first uh, sermon in this series. We have hope because Jesus was born. We have hope 
uh, for, the, for the world, for our families, for ourselves. Uh, we have hope uh, because of Jesus. So uh, I invite you to turn in, in your Bibles or find it on a phone if you like to use Bible apps at church uh, to Matthew chapter 8. We're actually going to look at the very end, the last story or account in Matthew 8. And then we're also going to look at the first one in Matthew 9. And I want to take these two together because the two together show us really two baseline types of hope. Two baseline types of hope that Jesus brings to our lives uh, because he's Emmanuel, because he's God with us. We're going to see Jesus bring a lot of physical hope to these men in these stories, but he also brings a, a, a kind of spiritual hope, two kinds of spiritual hope that we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. So the, the, the first one, we'll see one in one story and one in the other story. So the first type of hope Jesus brings to us is hope for freedom hope for freedom. He brings us hope for freedom. And that's the one we see in, in the passage we heard a few minutes ago, Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. Now, before we look at those verses, let me just uh, set the scene, since we're not studying through Matthew right now. Uh, so let me just remind you what's going on. Uh, in the passage immediately before this one, Jesus was in a boat. Right? So it's, it's one of the, he's, he's crossing the Sea of Galilee, which is a, a large lake in that region. Uh, he's crossing the Sea of Galilee. He's with his disciples. They're sailing from east, excuse me, from west to east. And they're actually heading from Jewish territory to Gentile territory. They're going over to Gentile territory. And as they're sailing across, there's a storm, a big storm. It's so big that it's actually threatening to sink the boat. Uh, but Jesus stands up and he rebukes the storm right? Who does that? He stands up, he says, storm, stop, stop, and it stops. The storm stops, the sea becomes calm, and there's this question that we're left with in verse 27. If you've got an open Bible in front of you, you see it there. What sort of man is this? The disciples are left with this question when this storm obeys Jesus. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And so that question's echoing in our brains. What sort of a man is this? What, who, who is this Jesus? So verse 28, they reach their destination, and the first thing that happens, they're barely out of the boat, the first thing that happens is that two men, demon-possessed men, come running up to Jesus. And this is not an accidental meeting. Uh, they are looking for him. They, they come looking for him. I, I do believe that's the right way to read this. It's not accidental. I think he lands there on purpose, and they come looking for him on purpose. And so you have a, it's almost as if battle is joined. In the spiritual realm, it's, it is. Battle is joined. And it's not that these men are attacking Jesus. It's that these demons are coming to attack Jesus. And we are told that they're violent. Matthew tells us that they're violent. They're so fierce that nobody could pass that way. Everybody was avoiding this part of the... Apparently, it's a good place to land a boat because Jesus chooses to do so, uh, and his disciples choose to do so. But, uh, but most people are avoiding this area, we're told. Uh, when Mark tells us this story, because the uh, Gospel of Mark tells us the same story, uh, he, he gives us a few more details. Mark says the men were so strong. Mark just focuses on one of them, but he was so strong that nobody could subdue them. People tried to chain them up, but they would just break the chains, right? Like the Hulk or something, they would just break these chains. People would chase them into the tombs. Uh, that just made them worse. They'd scream and screech all the more, Mark says. And so what you have from Mark as well, but Matthew gives it too, is you, you have a, a clear description of the carnage that these evil demons had done to these men's lives. Just carnage. We don't know their backstory. We don't know why or what happened in these men's lives that they came to be possessed by demons. 
Uh, that's not something that happens easily or accidentally. And so clearly they'd, something had happened. Maybe they'd been into idolatry, maybe deep into the occult. They'd been into something. We don't know what it was, but whatever it was, this is the outcome. The sin in their life didn't lead to, to freedom and self-discovery. Uh, the, the sin in their lives led to bondage and destruction. And so that's what we find as we meet uh, these men. And so right away we have a picture of the same thing that's true universally. Sin still does the same thing to human beings. Uh, nothing has changed from that day. It's, it, it may not always be as dramatic as we see here in this passage, but, but sin still does the same thing to our world. It still takes people captive. It still destroys lives and homes and, and, and towns and cultures and so on. Uh, Paul talks about this in, in, the gospel, or in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6. Uh, Paul says, uh, it's Romans 6, 16, don't you know that uh, when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, uh, whether that's to sin or to righteousness, he says, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, see that in these men's lives, or slaves to obedience, which leads uh, to righteousness. And, and so again, we don't know their backstory, we don't know the details, but, but these men, when we meet them, they are, they are, they are trapped Right? They're in a, in, in a spiritual prison. They are slaves, prisoners of sin. And so these demons who are running these men's lives, they, they come and they begin this attack on Jesus. They start this assault. Uh, verse 29, uh, they do it with words. They don't physically assault him, uh, but they come at him with this attack. What have you to do with us? What have you to do with us, Jesus? Uh, if I may paraphrase that, they're basically saying, mind your own business. Mind your own business, Jesus. I mentioned a minute ago, this is Gentile territory. And what they're basically saying is, you're, you're the Jewish God. Get out of here. Right? Because they know who he is. We'll get there in a minute. They know who he is. This is, this is our territory. You, you, you don't belong here. Uh, they're wrong, of course. Uh, that's one of the things this story shows. They're, they're completely wrong. It all belongs to Jesus. But, but they're trying to intimidate him. Again, fully God and fully man. And so I think there's a strategy here. Let's see if they can spook him. Let's see if they can, they can rattle him by coming in and challenging him this way. And then they also, to, to further kind of just show the way they're trying to challenge him, uh, they, they, they actually reveal who he is, right? They reveal his identity. What are you doing here, son of God? Son of God, they call him. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, and again, this is a little, we don't really, well, we have, I'll give you one example of how we do this in our culture in a moment, but we really mostly don't think this way. But in the ancient world, um, they believed, many cultures believed that everyone had, had kind of a secret name, sort of a secret spiritual name. And that name co contained that person's true essence, that person's true identity. And so if you knew somebody's secret name, that would give you power, spiritual power over that person. And, and that's what these demons are trying to do here. Uh, we, 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 like I say, we don't really do that, but uh, it is, if you think of superhero movies, right? So there's Spider-Man, and he can do all kinds of amazing things. But if somebody finds out he's Peter Parker... Uh-oh, Peter Parker is really Spider-Man. Oh, now we, we have, uh, you know, he's in danger. Somebody has, has authority, has some power over Peter Parker because they know that he's really uh, Spider-Man. And, and that's, that's kind of what these demons are doing. Uh, and, and so they're trying to expose Jesus. Oh, we know who you are. We know your secret identity. And so you have the, the disciples. And so there's this nice contrast. The disciples are still scratching their heads. Who is this guy, right? <laughs> he calmed the storm. I wonder what that means. The demons aren't wondering. The demons know exactly uh, what this means. They, they know that God has come to call on, on their side of the lake. 
And so they're trying to use that. They're trying to leverage their knowledge to gain some control, again, to intimidate him, to scare him off. Uh, They are doomed to fail, right? They don't get anywhere with all of this. In fact, they know it. They know that they're doomed to fail. That's why they say, have you come here to torment us? Uh, have you come here to, to do, uh, you know, to, 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 so they mention their time, right? So they say, have you come here before our time? If you come here to torment us before the time, the time they're talking about is judgment day. See, they know where this is headed. They know where they're going and they just want to know if Jesus is going to send them there now, right? And so it's very interesting when they start talking about the pigs, a lot of us, we read this story and we're like, what's with the pigs? That's such a strange detail. Why do they want to go in the pigs? They're negotiating terms of surrender, right? So they don't want to go to the abyss. Don't send us to the abyss yet. We want to put that off as long as we can. That's a horrible place. Send us into the pigs instead. So it's, it's, they're, they're offering terms of surrender when they say send us into the pigs because they know Jesus is more powerful than they are. And that is exactly what, what happens. Uh, verse 32, um, you actually see uh, another contrast in the way Matthew gives us the story and in terms of what happened. Uh, they are gushing. Are you ever in a situation where, you know, they, they always say in negotiations, the first person to speak is, is at a disadvantage? I think I've heard that somewhere. Um, the demons, they're, they're the first person to speak, right? And they're, they're gushing words. I count 34 words. In, uh, in the English translation I was counting in, 34 words that are spoken by the demons. Jesus utters one. Go. Go, he says. And so they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. And there it is one more time, one last gasp of destruction. So they beg to go into the pigs, but look, they can't even keep the pigs alive. They destroy the pigs just like they were destroying those men. Uh, I think it's Mark tells us there were 2,000 pigs in that herd. Big herd of pigs. And the demons kill every last one of them. Because that's what sin does. All right, we have a picture here. It's a reality for those big farmers. It's a picture for us of the reality in our own lives. The sin destroys everything it touches. But the men were free. See, this is where we get to the good news. The men were free. There had been all kind of carnage in their lives, but then Jesus comes on the scene, and it doesn't destroy the men because of Jesus. Jesus sets them free. And that's the good news for us. Those men are, are long since gone. They're, they're, they're gone the way of, of you know, heaven, one hopes. Uh, and, and, but for us, why is this good news for us? It's good news for us because he offers the same thing to us today. The same hope that he offered those men when he landed on the shore, he offers to us. It's the hope, the hope of freedom. And so if you're, if you're listening to this sermon and, and you're struggling with uh, an addiction of some kind, Jesus can set you free from that. If you're struggling with a, a destructive habit, you say, oh, I'm not an addicted. Okay, fine. It's a, it's a destructive habit. They feel the way, same way sometimes. He can set us free from those things. If you're struggling with, with fear and anxiety, Jesus can set us free. If you're struggling with anger, bitterness, despair, grief, depression, all of these things, Jesus can set us free. Uh, You know, it's it's a holiday weekend. You know, maybe you've got dysfunctional family patterns in your brains, right? That's true for some of us, right? And you're like, I just, I want to be free from that way of interacting. I want to be free from, from, from that pattern that I've been all these years. Jesus can do that. 
He can set us free from those things. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to do it the same way with every person every time. He, he doesn't. You know, sometimes it's, it's all at once, like we see in, in a passage like this one this morning. Uh, sometimes he does it in a more processed kind of way. He does it over time, but he does it. That's the message of the gospel. He does it. He sets us free. If we trust in Jesus, we have hope for freedom because he came, because he came. That's the first one. Uh, the second one that I wanted to show us this morning is uh, the hope of forgiveness. Hope for forgiveness. And like I say, there's all kinds of physical hope and restore it, and you can kind of notice those ones on your own. I, I was, I was kind of thinking about it a little bit. Those two men in the, in the tombs, they get a life after that. Right? Jesus re- gives them hope for a, a physical life. I like to think they went off, maybe they went back to their families, took up farming again, or trading, or whatever they did. You know, so there's that, that hope for, for this life. But the text really emphasizes that spiritual freedom. And then likewise with the next story. Jesus is going to give another man a great deal of physical hope, but as Jesus points out, the, the spiritual hope he gives them is far, far greater. And it's the hope for forgiveness. So, so let me read this one. So I'm picking up here in, uh, in uh, chapter 9. I'm going to just read the passage, verses 1 through 8. So, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men." So Jesus gets rid of the demons the demons from the guys on the eastern side of the lake. And uh, we won't go into it this morning, but the people are not happy about this. They're kind of scared there at the end of chapter 8 and a little angry because he destroyed 2,000 pigs. And so instead of welcoming what Jesus has just done for these men, he, they basically tell him to get out of here. So he, he, can, he, he does, he leaves. And uh, he gets back in the boat and he sails back to where basically where they started. He goes back to Capernaum. And that's what it means in verse 1 when it says his own city. He went back to his own city. It doesn't mean Nazareth. Nazareth is actually inland a bunch of miles, and it's up in the hill country, and it's very tiny. Uh, he didn't operate out of Nazareth. when he During his ministry, he operated out of Capernaum. He kind of made Capernaum his home base. It was right there on the Sea of Galilee. It's a larger city, and uh, lots, of, lots of activity going on in Capernaum. Great place to, to start what he was doing. So, so they're in Capernaum. They're in this village, uh, really much bigger than a village, this little city called Capernaum. And pretty soon, the first Matthew, Matthew gives the impression it happens right away. Maybe there was a little bit of something happening. But pretty soon, some people bring him a man who cannot walk. The man is paralyzed. That's what it says in verse 2. Some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And we have no idea why he was paralyzed, if it was congenital or an accident. We, we don't know what his situation is, but he couldn't walk. Now, you might remember this story. You might remember uh, the longer version of this one from Luke and Mark. Luke and Mark both tell us about this miracle, and they both give more details than Matthew. If you compare them, their versions are are considerably longer. Uh, 
Matthew does this sometimes. Even though Matthew is such a long gospel, uh, sometimes the stories he tells, he makes them shorter to focus them. Right? So he's, it's, uh, he's telescoping, really, or, or microscoping, maybe. I don't, he, he's, he's focusing our attention in on a specific detail. So this is the same one where, the, where it's four friends, right? So it's a great passage about friendship, right? The four friends who bring this man to Jesus, and they can't get in the house, and so they climb up on the roof, and they tear the roof away. This is that. But Matthew doesn't go into any of those details, and the reason is he wants us to zoom in on this spiritual thing. Right, so he cuts straight to the chase. Jesus sees this paralyzed man. He can't walk. He, he, you know, his people have to carry him to Jesus. And so Jesus goes right to the man's biggest problem, and it's not that he can't walk. His biggest problem isn't paralysis. His biggest problem is sin. That's where Jesus goes, right? That's what Jesus says. This, here comes this guy. He can't walk. It's, it's so obvious what his problem is. Right? They've got to carry him here. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And it's not that this man was especially sinful. There's, again, nothing in the story to make us think, you know, he was, you know, I don't know, a terrorist or something. You know, he, he wasn't something, he wasn't someone who was any more sinful than anyone else. And, and so the point of just bringing this kind of sinner just like you and me, the point is that our physical problems, yes, they feel so big. Our physical problems, they feel so big. And they are big. I don't in any way mean to minimize them. They're, they are big. But in the end, they only affect life on this earth. Whereas our sin problem endangers us for all of eternity. It affects us for all of eternity. And that right there, just the scope of it, the scale of it, makes our sin problem infinitely bigger. And that's why Jesus starts with the man's sin. Uh, he sees this man who's paralyzed, and he says, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven, because that's his biggest problem. Just like it's my biggest problem. And your biggest problem. Our biggest problem uh, is, is our sin. We, we don't know what the man thought of this. Uh, we have no idea. None of the, the gospel writers who tell us the story tell us how he responded. Uh, some commentators will tell you he was disappointed. Right? Some commentators suggest, you know, I mean, he wanted to walk. That's why he came. And so when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, the man was disappointed, they suggest. I wonder if it was the opposite. I wonder if it wasn't the opposite experience. I wonder if his eyes didn't fill with tears when Jesus said that. I mean, imagine the moment. Imagine for, for you know, imagine if, if Jesus looked at you in the eye and said, son, daughter, your, your sins, every single one of them. And he gave you a minute to, to, a moment to pause and think about it. Every single one of them, your sins are forgiven. I, I wonder if that wasn't the best moment of that man's life. Maybe that's the one he remembered forever. In any event, like I say, Matthew doesn't say. Matthew doesn't tell us how he responded. Instead, Matthew draws our attention to the scribes to their response. Now, now, the scribes, if you're not familiar with that term, are they're religious experts. They're religious experts. They're supposed to know how all the God stuff works. And uh, Jesus, Matthew says they're offended. They're offended by Jesus. He's blaspheming, they say, to themselves. Like maybe to each other, there might be some whispering, but really it's, it's their thinking. He's blaspheming, they said to themselves. Uh, Luke, again, gives us more detail. Luke says they, they added to that, who can forgive sins but God alone, Luke reports. That's what they're thinking and whispering to each other. Who does he think he is? God? <laughs> kind of hangs there, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus knows what they're thinking. Matthew does tell us that. Uh, maybe because he's God, Right? Again, from what we learned from the demons in the previous passage. Or maybe he can just see it on their faces. It doesn't have to be a miracle in this one. I mean, maybe he can just see their scowls. 
Either way, verse 4, he calls them out. Right? So he calls them out on it. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? <clears throat> your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk? <laughs> which is easier? Which is easier? So Jesus rolls out some spiritual logic on these guys. He says, look, I'm going to give you a little, uh, a little riddle here. Which is an easier thing to say? So you got somebody in front of you. Which is easier to say to that person? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Which is easier? And the answer is that it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Sure. Yeah, it's much easier, right? Because, because there's no way to verify it. <laughs> there's no verification. Uh, if I say to somebody who's, who's in a wheelchair, get up and walk, and the person still can't walk, I'm immediately exposed as a fake. What a fraud, right? He said he could heal that guy, but he couldn't heal that guy. He's still in the, in the wheelchair. Um, I'm exposed as a fake. But if I say to somebody who's like, oh, I feel so guilty, and I say, oh, your sins are forgiven, well, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, right? Maybe, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. And so it's easier to say. They know the answer to his question. It's easier to say, which is why the emphasis is on, on the speaking in the text. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. That's the easy one. Jesus says, okay, watch this. Picking up in verse 6. But that you may know, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to do the harder one, to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. So Jesus does the harder one, the apparently harder one. He heals the man's paralysis, and that becomes the proof that he can also do the really harder one, the more important one. He can set this man free from his sin. He can heal. He can do both. You and I can't do either. We cannot do either one. We can't heal people or forgive sins, but Jesus says, look, I do both. I can heal him, and therefore, I can forgive his sins. That gives us hope. It gives us so much hope. We have hope because Jesus offers us forgiveness for our sins. He offers that. And, and there's, our, our, why are Christians' lives charged with hope? This is a big part of it. We don't have hope because he's going to make us rich. He might or he might not. There's so many poor Christians down through history. We don't have hope because he's going to make us rich. That's not, that's not part of the deal. But we have hope because of this. We have hope because of the forgiveness of our sins. How does that help? What's the connection? How does forgiveness give us hope? Well, for one thing, <clears throat> it means we're not defined by the, the things we've done in the past. God's forgiveness takes care of the past. So many people in the world, and it's not just Christians. Sometimes people talk as if it's just us. It's not just Christians. Many people, but sometimes Christians too, live with, with guilt and with shame and embarrassment, the world is, is just rife with it. It's deep. These things are deep. Human beings haven't changed. Things that made people feel guilty a thousand years ago or 200 years ago or 50 years ago are still making people feel guilty. It doesn't matter if it's accepted in the latest sitcom. They, 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 people's lives are filled with guilt and shame and embarrassment. Over, sometimes it's over unsinful things and it's just kind of low self-esteem and all the rest of that. But many times it's because of the things we've done. It's because of the sinful things we've done. But in Christ, we understand we're not defined by our sin. We're not defined by that stuff. We're defined by our Savior. Others may see us, right? Others may see us and say, look at all the mistakes she's made. And I bet you many of us live with those kinds of burdens. Other people look at us and say, oh, he's messed up so much. Others might do that to us, but God does not do that to us. 
Others may do it, but God doesn't. He sees people who in Christ are forgiven. We're forgiven. And so we have hope as we look at our past. Therefore, we have hope for the future. Because he forgives our sins, we know we'll be welcomed into his presence. Right? We have that. Uh, we have been made right with God. You know, they used to talk in old westerns. They'd say, you know, before the big shootout, you better get right with God. Uh, we're right with God. We're right with God. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation. It's gone. It doesn't matter what you did, who you did it to. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we have hope for the present. So we have hope for the past, hope for the, for the future, and therefore we have hope for the present as well. And this goes back to that freedom we talked about. The freedom we talked about in, in, the, in, the, in the first point. Freedom, uh, you know, freedom, freedom uh, the hope for freedom, right? He has set us free from that guilt, right? And if we believe that, if we take him at his word, uh, we have hope. Hope for freedom, hope for forgiveness. Years ago, Charles Spurgeon uh, told a story. He was a Baptist preacher in the 1800s. He's a fun one to quote because he was very colorful. Uh, Spurgeon told a story one time uh, about two men, two men, and they were boating. They were in a boat together on uh, the Niagara River, the Niagara River in western New York, and something went wrong. He didn't say what, but something went wrong, and their boat flipped, capsized, and both men were dumped into the water, and the boat kind of got pulled away, because the Niagara is kind of a fast river. And so they, they, they were floating in, in the Niagara River, being carried by the current. And of course, uh, the problem with the Niagara River is that it leads straight into the Niagara Falls. It dumps into, empties into the Niagara Falls and dumps down that, that big waterfall. And so they were, there they were, these two men, nothing to hold on to, drifting, being pulled by the current toward the Niagara, toward the falls. Somebody on shore saw what happened. Right, so somebody saw what had happened to these guys, and, and uh, they actually put together a rescue operation. It took a little bit of doing, but so you know, kind of rushed down the, the river and got a rope, a long rope, and, and, and threw it out, kind of threw and floated the rope out to where the men were as they were floating by. And uh, one of the men grabbed hold of the rope. One of the men grabbed the rope as he was being swept along in the current. But for some reason, the other man didn't. Actually, he did it first. He, he grabbed the rope. Both men grabbed the rope, but then the, uh, the second man let it go and, and wasn't clear why, what the fog in his brain was, but, but there was this big log that was floating by at just that moment, and he let go of the rope to grab a hold of the log. And you could almost see, again, the logic in your, in your brain. Uh, maybe he was concussed, I don't know. But you're kind of, oh, well, this log is so much bigger. And he grabbed a hold of the log and actually pulled himself up out of the water so he wasn't cold anymore. And there he was, safely holding onto that log. You know how it turned out, though. You know how it turned out. That log plunged right over the falls. The other guy was saved. And he was still in the water, still kind of underwater struggling, but he was holding onto the rope, and they pulled him to shore, and he was saved. Spurgeon offered it, and I do too, as a picture of, of what we're talking about today. It's this hope. There's so many things in the world that people can grab onto, that we can grab onto when we need hope. And sometimes they look really stable and strong, like maybe that log looked to that man. But in the end, there's only one that delivers. There's only one that comes through, and it's Jesus. His name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who brings us hope. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the hope that we have in our Savior Jesus. Thank you, God, that you in your, your infinite 
wisdom and mercy and compassion sent your own son into this world that you jesus were willing to come that you holy spirit cooperated in in this whole the whole mission this whole divine mission uh, to save us uh, to bring us hope to bring us hope uh, hope in the ways we've talked about this morning and in so many other ways i just want to ask as we close this morning that you would fill our hearts with hope as we begin this christmas season um, Different people are struggling in different ways, Lord, and uh, a lot of physical illness going around. Um, things are tighter economically for so many these days, so many other kinds of struggles. Uh, and yet in the midst of the struggle, we have hope because of our Savior, Jesus. And I just pray you'd remind us of that in our, our deepest core of our being and help us to hold on to it, like that rope <laughs> that you would, uh, you'd pull us close to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.